there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. On this episode, you may know my guest as the two-time Edgar-nominated author, or perhaps the man who has lent his words to best-selling comics such as Deadpool, Punisher Max, and Godzilla. Or maybe you've read his latest short story, Lush, which is currently being adapted into a feature by the director of John Wick. But here on The Gala Show, I know him as one of the OG fans and supporters of the Video Archives podcast, Dwayne Swierzynski. Hi, Dwayne. Hey, Gala. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really happy that you are here. Actually, we are in your office. We are. My this... weird little private eye lair. <laughs> I love it. Especially this building. It's just gorgeous. So I was really happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. I mean, it's the old Chamber of Commerce building. I think I found a picture from 1906 of this place. And really? It looks the same. No, Were you, I, it's were outside, you in the but... photograph? Were you in the photograph? <laughs> I'm not that old, Gala. I'm, I'm old. I'm not, you know, I'm not quite that old. Like shining style? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Before we bring up the topic to d- for today, I have a question for you. Okay, so I, I was going to ask about your paperback collection because mm-hmm. you have a quite an extensive, I think, pulp, I would say pulp yeah. collection, yeah. and like which one was your favorite. But I was actually more curious, what was the book that you picked up as a child that made you say, hey, I really want to be a writer. I can do this. Oh, that's a great question. And it's funny. I was just talking about this yesterday. I was 14. I read a review in my local paper about a novel called It by uh, Stephen King. <laughs> it was like this sort of this mammoth thousand page. Yeah, not sure if anyone's heard of that novel. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's pretty well known. But as, as it, was like, it was described as a monster mash of all these great, every monster ever. It was like everything, you know, um, in the world. I had to read this book. So I, I went to the free library because I, you know, I was a kid, I was broke, had no money. And I had it. I was, I was so happy they had it. I dragged it home. And I, that was my life for the next like two weeks. I read nonstop. And it was like, it wasn't so much that I thought, oh, I can do this. It's more like, I want to do this. This oh, is you like want to do I want to yeah. like pull someone in and like just you know give them a whole world, give them like you know make them laugh and like it's shocked and I just love the turns of imagination. So that was like really a turning point. And that's I started writing not long after that just for fun and to amuse high school friends. You know, did you? Is that still like your favorite Stephen King novel? No, but it, but it's the one that I think looms large for me. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of I kind of like his. Uh, Leaner, meaner, weird ones. You know, I, I think he's a brilliant guy. You know, it's funny from horror. I found crime through horror because it's sort of mostly a gateway drug. Mm-hmm. There's a writer named Joe Lansdale who wrote horror stuff. I knew. Then he wrote a book called um, Cold in July, which was sort of a you know kind of a down and dirty you know Texas crime novel. I'm like, wow, okay, wow, I want to do this now. It's, it's sort of I get excited by you know writers uh, I, I encountered when I was younger. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Now, as always, my guest gets to bring their topic to the mic. 
Dwayne, why don't you tell us what your topic is and why you decided to choose it? Great question. Um, yeah, you asked me, I thought, what am I care deeply about? And one thing I've, I'm really into is place in terms of like, of course, you know, film locations in terms of locations and novels, but more especially um, where writers do their work, like where writers work or they live or they party or they die, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, uh, ever since I was coming out to L.A. long before I moved here. I would take little, maybe family vacations, and I would take little trips um, and look for, you know, James Cain's former house, or like, where, where did Raymond Chandler live? Much to the non-delight of my children, by the way, but uh, <laughs> make pit stops. How old were they at that? Oh, they're like, you know, five and six, five and, and, and they, they, you know, they were And they didn't they know any fine. better back then. Right, you know, exactly. So, I mean, I'd read a writer biography, I'd write down a list of, like, where they lived, and it was something about it, to me, it struck me as, like, place is almost like, without a time machine, it's the closest thing we have to touching the past because you can go to that location where something happened. For instance, McMusso and Frank. I mean, I was so, I love that it was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because there are about a billion writers who have sat at that bar mm-hmm. and rubbed elbows in that same bar where we see, you know, Cliff Booth and Rick yeah. Dalton. It's, it's, it's like kind of, it's history right there. It's history I mean, on the screen, yeah. On it's screen, like, you And know, then you can actually go there. You actually can go there, right. And I mean, to me, it's like you almost touch the bar top and feel the atoms transferring, right? I mean, that sounds weird, but it's like I love place, you know, that, yeah. for, that, for that reason. So, And now it's time for a commercial break. vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. So we're at my place. Yeah. You heard it here. We are going to be talking about writers in the LA places where they've lived, worked, and died. Yes. 30 minutes on the clock, and our time starts now. Whoa. Wow. I know. 30 minutes. You <laughs> Hardcore. Go. I know, right? <laughs> so you're not from LA originally. I'm not. So were these places something that like drew you to Los Angeles? Like the kind of magic of like, hey, this guy wrote here, or, hey, this guy lived here? Absolutely. I mean, LA is the perfect place for this, this sort of weird hobby of mine because at some point, most writers end up here <laughs> either by at gunpoint or about by you know their career they want to you know break into film or tv it's just a lot of writers wash up here almost new york too new york's known as a haven for writers yeah, but, but less so than la less so la yeah I mean, that's, everyone takes their their, you know, their time in the sun as they call it you know so yeah. and going back to like you know fitzgerald and faulkner I mean, writers been coming here for for decades so when i am um, i have actually i find my origin story for my place fixation was mm-hmm. i was my first book book tour I did a signing uh, in Westwood at a bookshop, mystery bookshop, and uh, a fellow writer, uh, Michael Connolly, best-selling author, he's the kindest guy in the world, he said, hey, crash at my place. Wow. Turns out his place is his writing office. It's the, it's the Elliot Gould place in The Long Goodbye. <laughs> oh my God, of it's course. It's Marlowe's, you know, high tower drive apartment. So at the time, I had not seen Long Goodbye, it was much to my embarrassment. People said, no, don't see it, it's not Chandler. I love the movie, but anyway, Mike says, you know, go crash there. So I did. I landed late. 
I had jet lagged. I was jet lagged to hell. I got next morning in the bed. A cat walked by. Oh my God. I was going to ask if there was a cat. I, there was. I followed the cat into the kitchen, looked for like my Diet Coke. Oh my Coke. God, you literally had the moment. And then, I'm not kidding, after that, I put a DVD in, because I was up like five in the morning. I put the DVD in and watched my last five minutes of what I just did. Like, guy gets up out of bed, follows a cat. Into the, I mean, it was surreal. It was like, <laughs> my God, I love this. So, being in a place where A, a movie was shot, let alone, and then a writer who I greatly admire wrote quite a few novels. It was like, that was like, yeah. Uh, energy overload so it's funny i find like a lot of horror fans tend to pilgrim to these places like oh the house that like halloween was filmed at or like this house or that house but like are there was there like one specific place in la that besides i guess the philip marlowe house that you stayed in i guess the long goodbye house but that was great but also one thing i really was excited about was we moved to burbank when we first moved here and just up the hill was the house the little rented house where james m kane wrote the postman always rings twice which kane is a longtime favorite um, yeah, I mean, reading his biography, like he just sort of, you know, cranked that out. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, I walk by, walked by it often uh, on walks around the neighborhood. So that was amazing. Do you ever go to places that you've heard that other people have written and oh. go right there to like try to get like the same? I oh, feel God, like all the time. Like a, <laughs> That's what I do. There's like a magic. I, I feel like people either feel it or you don't but i feel it when i go places that like something great has been written or worked on and like you can kind of touch the magic like you were saying like it's the closest thing to time travel that we have absolutely i mean i remember choosing a certain lunchbox and that warren zevon had gone there often and like you know hung out there i'm like i gotta go there and just you know absorb that moose on frank for sure you know bordeners any kind of public place well when i heard that you know that your dad and quentin wrote parts of Pulp Fiction at Barney's Beanery in yeah. West Hollywood. I was like, I'm there. Like, to me, it's like two things. It's that and Body Double. Because that's where, you know, the guy from Body Double, yeah. you know, drowns his sorrows <laughs> after Barbara Crampton dumps his ass. So that was like, I had to go there. Like, I me, mean, whenever I had a chance to go to Barney's Beanery, I go there to write. Then in a notebook, this right here, I have a notebook I use, yeah. Do you have, like, specific places that you go when you want, like, a specific feeling? Like, oh, I really want to write, like, crime. I really want to write horror. I really want to write something sad or something happy. Like, do you have, like, different places that you go for that? Mood-based? Not really. To me, it's like like writing is writing and often a lot of these emotions you're talking about or sort of subgenres come up naturally. Yeah. So like I go for the gamut. I'm more or less look for a place that has vibe where I can like see not be bothered too much. Like I yeah, don't want to be like not important. that bother me but it's like I want to be quiet. Well and, like, no you know. I understand because the big joke is that I go and listen to all the video archives podcast episodes at this local boba cafe in my like very small little neighborhood. And uh, they know like if I have my headphones on, don't bother me. Right. But I put my headphones sometimes on and I don't actually have anything playing just because I don't want people to bother me. Exactly. That's and they the best know thing. like don't come and sit with me. Don't come and talk to me. So yeah, you definitely need a place that has like a vibe to like sit yeah. down and work and write. Oh, completely. Vibe is big for me. You know, it's even like. Yeah, you, you, when people ask why LA, because people, some people hate LA. I don't know why. I love this town. Anyone but who hates LA can get out of here. Exactly. Scram. Just go home, man. Go home to Sheboygan. So anyway, yeah, but exactly. it's like, yeah, I mean, I love it here. And it's the energy. Same thing with New York. I lived in New York for two years. And there actually is an energy. You can feel it. Like, it's different. It's intense. It's a young person's energy. <laughs> I think it would kill me now. LA is just more like, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's just a place where dreams are like either for good or bad live or die and it's kind yeah, of exciting you chase it. oh man well also what i love about la because like i mean i can talk about la for hours it's my city it's like i w- i was born in santa monica oh, wow. i will live here and i will die here mm-hmm. like you cannot take me out of here love <laughs> like, it. Can, love i it. will be kicking and screaming you can drag me but <laughs> what i love also is that there's so many different vibes there's so many different feelings around the city like each neighborhood has like a very different feeling like 
yeah. here we are in Pasadena. Oh, yeah. This is technically Pasadena. Oh, it's, it's old Pasadena. Yeah, we're in old Pasadena. And old Pasadena has a very specific vibe. Like, all the buildings are low. You can yeah. see the sky. It's so much different than downtown where everything's like a skyscraper. And, like, when you're in with all the people. Yeah. And so I guess, like, also just, like, the part of the city you're in. Absolutely. They haven't so, ruined it yet. I mean, I, it's funny. A, a yet. Buddy, a, a, I hope yet. not. Knock on wood. A buddy of mine who actually knew this the old Pasadena, like, in the early 90s even, said, you have no idea how different it was. It was like pretty, you know, sketchy. And now it's like it's just, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's like me, I would I say it. Pasadena is like the cleanest, safest place right. in LA. So <laughs> right, it's funny right. to hear that it was sketchy in the early kind of weird, yeah. And I've I've heard stories though. Yeah, it was pretty rough, you know. And it's uh, but I, Pasadena too is a cool. I don't know. It's a cool mix of people and all kinds of weirdos, you know, which I like. Do you have a favorite like LA author or author that's written something in LA? Oh, geez, don't get me started. I have. A ton. Oh no, get started. <laughs> no, no. Get started. I have a ton. I mean, like, I mean, it's funny to me. So native born LA author or like. Hmm. And he got the thing because I think of like John Fonte is like okay. a great, you know, ask the dust. Like he's yeah. like classic. Oh, he wasn't born here. He came from, he came from, I think, Colorado. But like, so people I think adopt this town. It's hard to find that, a native born. Like that, you're, you're, yeah, a, you're, I'm a native born. It's yeah. like every now and then you find someone that's like from here. And it's so funny. I was just talking to Mick Garris and he and I yeah. not only, we share a birthday. Oh, not really? the same year, obviously. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we share a birthday. I knew Mick's youthful, but I didn't think that youthful. <laughs> but we also uh, share a hospital. Wow. So we're born in the same hospital on the same day, wow. which is really When is weird. your birthday, if I can ask December 4th, oh, 1995. Cool. Oh. <laughs> That's how I feel when someone tells me they're born in 2002. I'm like, oh, 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 the old lady is setting in. It's going to turn to dust and like my, my, my dashes float into the atrium here. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to find. So like there are people that they do adopt the city and I feel like. I, yeah. I truly feel like someone can move here and just become an Angelino. Yeah. Like, I think it's completely different than, like, being from California or whatever. Like, you become an Angelino. I think you're right. Exactly. We have our own culture. Oh, yeah. Totally. I will fight this tooth and nail. Totally. Los Angeles culture, you are an Angelino, and you can become one. You have to just adopt it. Yeah. Also, I've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this. Like, Ellie has no history. What's your take on that? Oh, I disagree completely. Right. What are you talking about? <laughs> LA has history. LA's history is on the big screen. Yes. Like exactly. everyone everyone goes to the movies to see LA's history basically. Yes. Like every single day that like something amazing is made here or something amazing is written here. Yeah. It is history. And like just like you're saying, when you go to a place like Barney's Beanery. Yes. You can go sit at that table. That, like yeah. maybe that person sat right. in and they wrote that great thing. Or you can go to Toy. Absolutely. And you can sit at, there's a Pulp Fiction table, Quentin signed the poster. Wow. And so you can so go and cool. sit at the Pulp Fiction table. And like, there's some LA history right there. Yeah. Because like, that's a, like a thing. And maybe it's not like the history in like Europe. No. I mean, a, a Scottish friend who jokes, he came to Philadelphia years ago and said, I saw, here's Independence Hall. Here's all of our historic. He's like, history. This is new construction. I'm like, <laughs> so it's like, but LA, I mean, I mean, it is history. If you consider 20th century important and it is, it's vitally important. Every it's day is history. history. Yeah. It's like every, we are living history right now. That's yeah. the most amazing part of it. And to say like, like, I mean, the same people might say like, well, I guess New York is like around like a little bit longer than LA. Sure. By like smidgens. It is. <laughs> but like. New York has its history. LA has its history. Miami has its history. I don't know. Totally. Winnipeg has its history. I mean, I could, <laughs> every, every place city, does. every place has, it might not be bullet holes in the old buildings, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's, it's on the walk of fame. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, uh, it's funny seeing LA in movies. Like I have a, almost a fetish for LA seventies hang movies behind you is a poster of Cisco Pike. 
uh, Gene Hackman, Chris Christopherson. What a it's great a, poster, the pink, black, white, uh, and blue. poster, but it's also like a great hang film. It's a crime film. It's about, you know, Gene Hackman's character tries to force Christopherson into like moving pot over again. But that's the, that's, that's minor. It's like mostly you're touring West LA, you're touring like, yeah. oh my God, it's an amazing movie. So for people that aren't familiar, what is a hang film? Oh, okay. For me, I, this is maybe it's my own personal term. I'm not sure if anyone else uses it, but it's like you're hanging out with the yeah. ca- a whole cast of characters. Oh, that's and like, great, yeah. You're just like model shop. Model shop's a hang film. Like it's like you're hanging out with the, the, you know, his little mission. There's something happening, but I don't care. I'm, I'm going to see like for the streets back then. Yeah. I want to see what people do, how they behave, what they smoke, what they eat. You yeah. Know? That's actually why I love like Roger Corman, like AIP films, yes. because like it is so LA history. Like, I mean, we covered, it's not a Roger Corman, obviously we covered Slithis on the podcast and you see all this LA history in Slithis. Like you see <laughs> yes. the turtle races, which are still going on today, but I would not condone going to them personally, <laughs> right. but you see all this like LA history. And then like, when you look at like Corman's films, like you can see old LA oh, yeah. in death race 2000. I live in Westlake village. Okay. In death race 2000, the church from that is in Westlake village. I know I do. And so like, I drive by it and oh, I'm like, Oh my God, here's man. some LA history. Like this is where they shot it. Yeah. And I love that. And I love seeing old LA. I love seeing yeah. the Marina specifically and Marina Del Rey. Yes. And seeing just how much it's changed. How like the little beach town is no longer the little beach town. Absolutely. In Venice too. Like, oh my God, you know, Venice, Corman, yeah. like I remember watching Bucket of Blood. This is like shot in Venice. Like I can sort of see pieces of it. You see all these great little you know bits and almost it was still the um, the beat generations hanging out there still when yeah. Corman was making movies which is great it's funny you also see LA like immortalized like in Grand Theft Auto <laughs> I'm just gonna say because the map is squished but yeah. if you know LA well enough you can know like where it's been squished yeah and you're like oh I'm driving by this place and I the Venice map is specifically funny because it cuts out like right where I had been living in Venice oh my god but I was really? like going and it cuts out the traffic circle at Windward Circle yeah Windward, yes that's just really really oh funny oh my god I know, that's funny so I was driving I was like oh here's LA and all my friends whenever we play grant the daughter like how do you know this i'm like well i live here i live in san santos that's, that's hilarious yeah i mean venice is rich with history even like small towns like i live in monrovia two mm-hmm. towns over so when i moved there i realized holy crap a few blocks away um the immortal horror classic 976 evil was shot on monrovia i mean i remember seeing it when i was in high school like it's not you know it's a great film if you like bad horror movies but it's sort of like i was so mesmerized like my god this is like where it was shot I'm, you know it's that kind of living history that i'm so i become like a, an advocate for these places i try to point them out to people oh for sure and i think that's like one of the problems with gentrification is yeah. that like we are kind of bulldozing our history and it might not be history that people think is like oh this is important like it's in the history book but like these like living buildings that have all these living stories that have this energy that is yeah. that creative energy is so important because people do come to Los Angeles yeah. to chase their dreams. And if you come to LA and you don't see all these same sites that like you see that are the reason why you chased your dreams, it's like, yeah. why are you here? What are we doing? I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I go to places, I, I'm more in places that are lost. Like I first came out here for a party for, I used to work for Details Magazine and we had a big Hollywood issue my party. And it was Perino's, the old-timey restaurant. It's yeah. been a bunch of movies. It's gone. I mean, it's just sort of like these things in our in my recent memory just have just vanished because of... You know, you mentioned it, it triggered me. It, it tripped me up. It was like, because people don't consider it important, but now they may not. But in like 20, 30 years, like, why do we tear that down? Like, why, why do we do that to ourselves? Yeah, and why you know? do we replace it with this monstrosity? This, this boxy thing, <laughs> this bo- yeah. I was going to say boxy Minecraft yeah. building. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny. There's a few of those that are like shut down buildings. Like, I think the where they shot the Pulp Fiction diner sequence. Oh, yeah. That's that building. I th- 
correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Someone's going to correct me. Some person <laughs> on the internet's going to be like, I know this because I'm not looking it up. But right. I think it's that building near the Academy Museum. You know how that has all like those light bulbs that like are supposed to be placed in? Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Diner? I think that's where they shot it. Mm. And now it's like really weird to see like there's no light bulbs in that building. Yeah, And like it just looks, looks like a ghost town. And I brought my friend who had never been to LA before. I'm like, oh, like, look at that. They put light bulbs in that building and it used to be all lit up. And he was like, no way. Really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. It's so great to take friends around. I'm taking a friend around in two weeks. Um, have they ever they, been here before? Um, yes, but never. I guess I, I'm eager to show them like the, the, through my eyes. I have a long list in my notes file of like film locations, off locations. So it's like, okay, we're gonna be. I gather a little list. Okay, we hit these places when we're here. This yeah. part of town, which is again either my psychosis or my me. I'm not sure what it is. My hobby. No, I think it's, I think it's great because my number one pet peeve of when people come to LA is when they think that they can go from like this side of town right. to this side of town in like 20 minutes. Exactly. I'm like, oh, we can go do all of these things, and I'm like. No, you, you have can't. no idea. You have no, <laughs> you have no idea the pain and the struggle that I go through in traffic. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I like showing people my LA when they yeah. come to LA because they always ask, like, "Oh, like, what's like the fun thing to do?" And I'm like, "Well, there's a hundred billion fun things to do. It depends yeah. on what you like to do. But if you want to see my LA, I'll show you my LA. Yes, it's exactly. not going to be what you're going to like see online. To That's go a do. great point because I think all of us have our own version. Like when a, a town as big as LA, you carve out your own piece of it. Like to me, like. My center of my universe is like, you know, I, I know where I go and kind of my, my, my go-to is like El Coyote and then go to New Bev. Yeah. It's like that thing. That's it's so like, funny because mine, right? mine is like New Bev and Toy or like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. New Bev and then um, Fred 62s. Yes. Oh, yeah. That that's place. like my other place. Well, yeah. Vermont. It's like I go to, you know, go to the, with the, um, um, the Scarlet Books. I mean, yeah. I, usually for me, it's around bookstores. So yeah. like if I'm in like Sunset Strip. I don't care about, you know, the rainbow necessarily. I don't care about the whiskey. I'm going to book soup. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, the thing. It's like, that's, that's, my you, thing. that's your LA. Yeah. And that's like where you can show someone, hey, this is why I fell in love with this city. And this is maybe how you'll love this city too. Exactly. Exactly. So what, you named Barney's Beanery. Right. You named El Coyote. You ever go right at El Coyote, actually? I, I have. I, really? I bring little notebooks. I have these little notebooks. I buy this. My pocket-sized ones. We're just quitting, uh, jotting down quick notes because I... I don't mind going to the movies by myself, actually. I kind of like it. It's a nice way to unplug. It's like, you know, and then it's, and it's not, I love people, love my friends, but sometimes I just want to go and unplug for a while and I'll just do notes at Al Coyote. And there's also some movies, I think, that are better seen by yourself. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I went to go see Rollerball with someone and <laughs> I totally regretted it, to be uh -huh. honest. Not regretted seeing it, but just regretted it, like, I think I would have had a better experience by myself. And that's yes. no shade to the person I went with. I hear you. Sorry. Nope. But, uh, I, the reason why I was watching, and also like when I went to go see Winter Kills at the Bev, yeah, I was so hyped for that. It's a weird one. <laughs> I was I had I had seen it three times this year now, it's and I great. was so it's hyped. A weird one. <laughs> but I had a better time at home on my laptop watching yeah. that by myself, and I was like, Oops. there is that's a great point because there is film <laughs> chemistry. If you like, if you bring someone to a certain movie that they just don't get it, and they're a downer, like it's like it kind of. Yeah, it's yeah. a letdown. It's like you're not excited as, you know, whereas when I went from my Scottish writer friend, Al Guthrie, to see Pieces at the New Bev yeah. for a midnight show, we were laughing so hard our sides like, hurt. Like we had the best time. It was <laughs> The crowd was always, it was, we were all together laughing and just enjoying the hell of this movie. I love that because there are some movies that just like the crowd makes it so much better. When I went to go oh, yeah. see Moonstruck, I went with a group of friends. Yeah. Oh my God, I love Moonstruck. And I, we saw Raising Arizona first and then Moonstruck. And yeah. I, I like Raising Arizona. And this showing made me like it more at the Bev because the crowd was so great. Oh, that's but then when I saw Moonstruck, it was like I wanted to sing, oh, a big pizza pie in the sky, that's amore. Yeah, exactly. It was so wonderful. I mean, it actually qualifies. New Bev, not to you know, pimp it too hard. I love the New Bev, but it's like that, that's a place too. It's like a place you go and dream with people. Yeah, that is so much like you know, the crowd mix there is so important. I love that word that you use, dream, because mm -hmm. I really do believe that like when 
people all go to a movie theater, turn off their cell phones yeah. and watch a movie together. We are all like living a dream basically that someone has dreamed up and they've shown it on a movie and they're showing it to us now. So we're all living the same Absolutely. dream. Absolutely. The same thing is now that I've watching movies, you know, and my iPad at home, but I mean, people ask, why do you go to the theater still? I'm like, because it's all of us. Like I don't yeah. even talk to anybody. It's more like just all collectively gasping and like, you know, yeah. crying at something or whatever. And it's, I always say even a bad screening is oh, still way better than a screening by yourself at home. Absolutely. Because yeah. I love it. Like, <laughs> this is so, <laughs> so terrible. But I even love it when there's a bad screening or like a bad crowd and you go out with your friend and you're like, oh, those people, they were laughing at all the wrong things. <laughs> and oh my God, like, can you believe that that person was coughing? And, yeah. Because you're never going to forget it. It's yeah. a really unique experience together. So, oh, yeah. I mean, so many firsts for me at the New Bev that I just sort of, I thank God I saw it there first. You like know? what movie? Oh, geez. I mean, I think um, Model Shop was great. Yeah. He, he was that there at first. Um, God, what else did I see there first that I believe? God, now, of course, I'm blanking. But what sticks in my memory is actually my first all-nighter at the New Bev. Uh, oh, I yeah. saw. Do they even do those anymore? They Not all-nighters. I think they stopped because of pandemic times. And it's, it's, it's a lot. But I think early on, I went to an all-night horror show, which is great. But my first, um, you know, my proper, well, yeah, that's proper all-night. The Dario Argento all-nighter was amazing. Because by movies four or five, you're truly hallucinating because like you're just you're in Argento's <laughs> world the entire world's like tempting color and it's nothing like, exists nothing outside exists, the theater right? the witch is going to eat you it's like all kinds of crazy stuff so I mean that to me was like one of those great experiences that I just love to drag people to you know? I love that yeah you mentioned earlier that you carry around a notebook yes. how do you think that writing notes handwritten is different than either typing or putting them in your phone like do you find that it's better to handwrite them I do all of them. It's funny you ask that because this summer I started writing a book just like crime novel for fun and it refused to like take off on my computer. But I started writing it in this, right, this book right here, this orange legal pad. Yeah, the beautiful pad. orange legal pad. Yeah, I mean, I just started writing notes and it started from notes to like, oh no, I'm actually writing the actual text. And I just... Wow, handwritten. Handwritten. That's, that's new for me because I am a horrible... Handwriting is awful. And uh, it's just, it's a different... I think it makes you more deliberate in word choice. It slows you down. I talk fast. I'm like, I've just been described as a Scorsese on crack. I just don't, you know, I talk fast. I think fast. And, um, you know, I type fast and I go back and I endlessly revise. Whereas handwritten notes, I'm taking my time. I'm like thinking, is that the right word? Yeah, okay. And it's not. And your hand gets tired and like yeah. your brain kind of catches up. I just think it's interesting because, yeah, but for the podcast, I always tell people that the number one thing I can recommend film students do is write down all the stuff about movies handwritten because yes. it helps my memory recall way more than if I type it up or if I like put that's, it in a notebook. That's like, so true. Or a note. When I say notebook, I meant yeah. notebook on my phone because <laughs> right. I do keep notes on my phone. I do too. But like when I watch yeah. a movie, I type it up and then I go back and I handwrite afterwards. Yeah. And I think it really helps my recall. Like one of my favorite writers is Clive Barker and he famously writes everything longhand. He writes yeah. some long ass novels. <laughs> so it's, yeah. I'm impressed well, by Quentin, it. Quentin writes a lot uh, handwritten. Okay. And it's funny that you say like your handwriting because Quentin's handwriting is notoriously sloppy. <laughs> I can read it because I happen to have that same chicken scratch as really? him. Okay. So when my dad gets like stuff from Quentin, he's like, Gala, type this up. And I'm like, okay. So I type it up. And then wow. my dad has the typed version so that he can read now, it. Now does your dad uh, do longhand? Or is my he... dad also does longhand, but my dad's handwriting is like, very nice. Oh. He has uh, writes in all capital letters, like architectural style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So interesting. his is really interesting. But yeah, I've That's also cool. I've also t transcribed my dad's longhand for him. <laughs> I do a lot of transcribing. I type I type fast too. Wow. So are you left or right handed? I'm right handed. Your dad? Right handed. And Quentin? 
I think he's right-handed also. Ooh, I'm a ball out here. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm lefty. Yeah, I'm lefty. It's I weird. think, isn't it like 12% of the population is left-handed? I guess so, And I yeah. think like 80% of left-handed people die doing right-handed activities. I think so. Not that, to be morbid. Honestly, that's probably how I'll go. I'm probably sure I'll go doing something weird like that. Yeah. Writing writing a book with your yeah. right hand. <laughs> It'll explode or something. <laughs> Just yeah. like spontaneous combustion. Well, here's the weird thing, actually. When I'm like standing up on a chalkboard, I, I'm right-handed. Oh, interesting. It's only sitting down. Like I bat right. I Everything else is right. So you're ambidextrous. Or I'm miswired <laughs> somehow. I'm not sure. What, I guess that's a kind word, but I think I'm just weird. Just a um, weirdo. But that's, <laughs> exactly. I like weirdos. So. That's good. That's good. So, okay. So we talked LA places. Yeah. There's different places. So you go, you write. Do you ever like see other people doing those same kinds of things that you're doing? Like, do you ever like, oh yeah, you're doing the same. Oh. You're also coming here to write. You're also coming here to experience the history. Sometimes, although usually I kind of, I really try to stay out people's way. I don't really, I, I'm an observer. I watch people, but usually they're mostly doing their own. Do you or, eavesdrop? Or, uh, not well. Oh, yeah. I do. I, oh, I do. I, I do. I, I, do, totally. I want to be better and say I don't, but I, I, if I tune to interesting conversation, I will tune in just to hear how people talk. I love hearing how people just go back and forth, the shorthand we use and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, once in a while I'll see people, you know, obviously drawn to us, like Charles Bukowski's apartment is kind of famous and people will go there and check things out. Um, but yeah, mostly it's just me, you know, I, I read a column now for a magazine called Bare Bones, which is the LA guide to, sorry, the, um, field guide to LA pulp, which is where I choose a writer and tell their story by some of the places they've been. Like, oh, wow. So like David Goodis, he's a Philadelphian like me, but he came out here for like you know a bunch of years to work in Hollywood. He wrote Dark Passage. Or sorry, he wrote the source material for Dark Passage. He uh, tried to do screenplays, didn't do well. <laughs> he's going to figure it out. But I, I try to track his movements all around town. He was famously just sort of weirdly miserly. He crashed on his friend's couch for years. Like he would use that rent a place. Was wow. Own. He would just like crash on the couch, wear the same like shirt and tie, go to bed. Get morning, dust himself off, and no go off way. to that right. So that's so pulp. Like it's just so to be pulp. honest, that is incredibly pulp. If anyone wants to be pulp, I guess exactly do that. And then the, I'm right tracking down where that was was hard because he lived on Eleanor Avenue. It's behind Santa Monica, right near, not too far from like Hollywood Forever Cemetery and Paramount. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like when I do these columns, it's like detective work. I'm trying yeah. to figure out. Okay, I know this street he was here, but who lived where? And it's like. That piece work is my the, the the mania I have. I love that though because like doing the detective work is almost like you are writing the true history of something, but you're kind of also writing your own like detective story while yeah, you're doing yeah. it. Like I'm unfolding Precisely. this. I am the detective, and I Precisely, am. Precisely, yeah. Love that. I mean, I I remember the first call I wrote. I went to during the pandemic to find out where Armitage Trail, who wrote Scarface, he was the first guy oh. the novel. He was like, he lived hard, died really young. Like he was like 30 and he died of a heart I, attack okay, in that, the theater. That makes, uh, that kind of makes sense then about the Scarface guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I went to see his, he's, he's famous. He was buried at Hollywood forever in a vault. I went to see it and he was missing. His body's missing. And later I learned that he's actually reburied with his brother across town, another cemetery. So it was like, oh I God, was, so his body was missing. Yeah. I mean, who stole Armitage trail? Was it Al Capone angry that he <laughs> took his body? But, um, yeah, that, those kind of things make my day. Um, I just finished a column where I was tracing, uh, Charlie Seringo, a cowboy detective author guy in the twenties. Wow. There was a cowboy bar on Cahuenga uh, in the twenties called the watering hole. Now that was unofficial. Tracking that down took some work. Cause it was like, where was this damn place? And, Eventually, I realized that, okay, it was tied to this guy who made saddles. It was a saddlery. It was a saddle? Wow. And it turned to, you know, because it's prohibition. So it was like they would have bring their whiskey in there and just chat. And at one time, you can drive down Cahuenga and see all these, like, cowboys, real and Hollywood cowboys, hoping to be called as extras in films. 
Before Gower Gulch, this is. This is like before Gower Gulch, in the 20s was the watering hole in Cahuenga. Wow. So how did you do this research? Like, did you use like libraries? Did you use... Yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my favorite thing is uh, newspapers.com. It's like a, sort of the, all the archives. Yeah. All the, all the papers just go through. And it's a bit of a, it's like a needle in a haystack search. Sometimes they do a search term, not quite right. You look for a time, you know, you find things eventually, which is kind of great. Now, what do you think, though, about all the newspapers that maybe aren't archived? Oh, it breaks That's my heart. That's question. I was just talking with someone about that, all the magazines that aren't archived yeah. and all the stories that are in these magazines. Yeah. So it's like you got to hunt down the, the actual newspaper. What worries me is that, you know, generations from now, when people are trying to do research on our generation, roughly our generation, and, you know, blogs are gone. The internet is erased. The blogs are digital. gone. The forums are the gone. The forums are gone. All this stuff. Yeah, we were just talking. There's podcasts. A, I mean, podcasts hopefully are preserved. You well, know, but, that's the thing is that we hope podcasts are preserved. But I was just talking with someone who was talking about Brett Easton podcast, but before he yeah. had his podcast, there were like 10 episodes and they're just completely gone from the internet. Oh. And he had remembered hearing a story on one of them. Yeah. And so uh, he ended up finding it on an iPod. Which was amazing. That's incredible. But uh, he's like, I might be the only one that has this now. Like, that, what do what, I do with this? Well, that worries me as like as a you know amateur historian. Like, I, I love that you know newspapers. You can find them somewhere. You can actually track things down. You know, slowly. Or like even on eBay, you find a magazine or something. Yeah. But you know, this last twenty years has been you know yeah, the digital weird. stuff just goes away. Right. That's it the weirdest thing. And then also you just forget that it's mm -hmm. like and when when everything is available at your fingertips. Yeah. You start to forget like when it isn't. Exactly. I don't know. It's just it's a really weird feeling. I mean, we're an office here surrounded by books. I just love having books around me because I know I can open a page and find that thing. Yeah. And not worry that my Wi-Fi is down. Yeah. <laughs> or anything else. Okay, I love book smell. I don't Ooh. know if you love book smell, oh, you but me? it's like the one thing I wish like yes. the internet sprayed book smell at me. <laughs> it's like one of the best. Old book smell, new, old, all of it, all of the above, right? For me, it also, it's like telling a history and a story of whoever had the book before me. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, was yeah. this person a smoker? Like, do I smell cigarettes on it? Yeah. Like, is there a little bit of mildew? Yeah. Is the, are the pages like all dog-eared? Is it well-worn? Some notes even. I found receipts for things, which I love. Yeah. You see, I love when I find a receipt. It's like where the book was purchased, yeah. how much it was, what the tax was, what else they bought. It's like, you know, going back to the 50s, I've seen like, wow, this book was 25 cents yeah. on this how do you, rack. How do you feel about people like that do write annotations in their books? Because I actually like getting books too. annotated or like VHS tapes that have stickers on them and stuff. Some people don't like that. They like to have yeah. a pristine version when they buy it. No, I, I, I love that? it. I mean, if it's like, you know, someone... A kid with a crayon went nuts. That's a little annoying, but, but well, because that's, that. that's that's without intention. But right. Someone that's like writing notes, or maybe they wrote like um to my dearest, oh, whatever. I love I love getting those because one, it is heartbreaking, but then two, if you have several books from the same collection or person, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Then like you start to, a little story gets formed. That's true. We found one actually about my like my great great grandma that it turned out that she was secretly a lesbian. Amazing. And we found it through the book, um, like the the wow. like thank you, like they had given books back and forth, yeah. and it was like to her friend. But like as you read more of them, you kind of realized they were like having a romance. So you inherited this collection. So we inherited and this pieced, collection oh and pieced God. it together that like she secretly was having like a schoolgirl romance. That's incredible. And it was it was it was a beautiful thing, and I just loved it. But that's, some people don't want to have anything no, in their books. Man, what, a, what a gift that They're, is. That's history, also. Yeah, what a gift that is. It's like, my history. It's yeah. weird. It's, it's super important. Like, I mean, family history is not often told, right? Yeah. I mean, that story obviously didn't come down to you through the generations. No. So, like, you found it through the books. That's magical. And we actually called my grandfather to tell him. And he mm. was like, What? What are you, her? <laughs> really? That's incredible. Um, one thing I'm actually working on now is a very history intensive, research intensive 
true crime memoir right now. And it's like my own family history to a degree because my family history intersected with a mob story, a mobster. Oh, really? Yeah, in the, in the fully in the 20s. So like, but this is a story that's never been told in my family. It's like, I had to kind of find it myself and then kind of dig into it. And the more I dig in, the more I found little pieces of like real ephemera. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I actually have a playing a trading card of the mobster who killed the mobster who killed my relative. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So you have it. It's like it's a, it's six degrees of separation. It's been right there. I have this like, it's like, yeah, it's just it's touching. Like I have a little ashtray up there with police uniform buttons. In yeah. It, Cause I just, I want to, I probably sound crazy, but I do want to touch no, these things. Tactile. And, like, yes, and yes. you feel the energy from it. True. Surely do. It makes it real. Like, cause honestly, when you're writing, you're trying to conjure something out of, you know, nothing. You thin pull, air. It, pull it from the ether. Yeah. And, and if anything tangible for me is like, okay, I grab hold of something, especially historical things. I want to, if I can touch it, look at it, breathing that smell of a place that's yeah. that's so huge do you come up with the title of your book before or Ooh. after you start writing it that's a great question it's half and half honestly if yeah. i have a good title i'm golden i'm happy it's like <laughs> i'm doing cartwheels like i got it like because i'm but, but in progress now i have a title for it and like i love it other ones are an agonizing killer <laughs> like, you, you struggle so hard to you find have the right great title. story and, and it's right, like exactly. where's my title and it's like i all the titles like no it's wrong it's wrong it doesn't work and it's it's it can be an ordeal when, when you're struggling to find a title how do you do it Boy, I kind of, I really kind of take a breather, step back and think, okay, well, just let it come to me. Like, is there any, any images or words? Like, kind of, a title it has to do a lot of things. It has to carry meaning, it has to appeal to a reader. Because, you know, some books is like, that doesn't sound good, <laughs> based on the title. And the cover art. And the cover, cover art, too. super important. I, I, oh. Do you have, like, a favorite pulp cover? Oh, God. That was, like, one, that was one of my I, questions I wanted to ask you, yeah, but I was no, like, that's, that's like, going to, like, rip his hair out. Yeah, and I have so many. I mean, I, I can pull off the shelf randomly here. I think the, the hardboiled lineup, this is a anthology of hardboiled stories. It's like dudes on a lineup with this like... With this like hot chick... Does she have a shotgun? Exactly. Oh, it's, I love it. It's, it's a hot blonde with a bikini top and a shotgun. And look at the back of it too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like... And she's there, you know, doing something, you know... With, with a different gun. Different gun. With a different lineup. She has a busy day. She's like obviously busy, you know, so... I lost she's going them. around her Los Angeles. <laughs> exactly. A lot, a lot of dudes to take out. So, I mean, I, I, my favorite is like having a favorite like... Um, ancestors. They're all my favorites. Our favorite movie. Uh, favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Ooh. Well, that's easy. It's RoboCop. Oh, Ooh. you didn't even get saved by the bell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's RoboCop. RoboCop. I'm, to be honest, I'm really glad that I asked you that question and yeah. you had an answer because some people, they're like, <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite movie. And I'm like, come on, pick it. To me, it's a perfect marriage of like, it's, it's satire. It's violent. It's funny as hell. It's like, to me, it's the perfect movie. <laughs> and that's all the time that we have for today. Dwayne, is there any final thought that you'd like to leave listeners with? Oh, just go out and explore wherever you are. If you're not lucky enough to be, live in L.A., like Gala and I, uh, go explore your city. There's always interesting history everywhere. If you look hard enough, you're going to find the most amazing stories. That's it for today. Thank you so much to my guest, Dwayne Swarzynski. You can find him on Instagram at S-W-I-E-R-C-Z-Y or on his website, gleefulmayhem.com. Awesome. Thank you, Gala. I'm Gala Avery, and this has been The Gala Show. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.
Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.